Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Gucci Podcast mini-series dedicated to Vault. Speaking to the belief that past, present and future can coexist through the power of imagination. Hello, I'm Shahid Abari, and for this Gucci podcast miniseries, we'll be taking a deep dive into the cabinet of curiosities that is Vault. Vault is an online meeting place where you can learn about the storied heritage of the house. It's a space to discover a new wave of designers, the best of emerging fashion talent from around the world. And it's a daring new experiment that challenges you to think dynamically about fashion's past, which is never consigned to history, and the fashion future, which is now. In today's episode, we're talking to Laird Borelli-Person. Laird is the archive editor at Vogue.com. She wrote her master's on the fashion writing in Vogue and is herself an author of several books on fashion illustration, including, most recently, Marumeko, The Art of Printmaking. Hello, Laird. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to talk to you. Such an important person. Where are you? How are you? Um, Important person, yeah. Um, (laughs) I am in Old Greenwich, Connecticut, in my dining room slash office with a funny twall tablecloth and a little lavender topiary, dreaming my life away. Ah, that is really setting the scene. And your, your little office is also a gateway into a world because you are the archive editor at Vogue. Tell us about your role. What does that entail and what is the archive at Vogue? Um, I work mostly for Vogue Runway and Vogue.com. And archive editor is a, a title I got because from about 2010 to about 2015, I was part of a team working on digitizing the Vogue archive, which you can look up online. We took every issue and we scanned it and started tagging it so that uh, it became alive. And then we developed a taxonomy so that people could search for, you know, red Chanel suit. I think designers have this issue too. You have lots of different audiences. So you have some people that want to be able to get a Louis heel and some people that just want to see shoes. So there's always a balance, I think. It's nice to have a little wiggle room so that people can fall down the the rabbit hole, as it were, sometimes. So many stories I've done have been inspired just by doing photo research and coming across something that stops me in my tracks and wanting to know more. Give me an example of the kind of rabbit hole that you go down regularly there. (laughs) Well, a recent one was, I don't know what I was searching for, but I came across a picture of an American actor called Gardner McKay and never seen him never heard of him and ended up doing sort of a, this is the 60s actor that you never knew, or you should know. Mm. And it generated tons of interest online. And it was just a really fun deep dive. And and the timing was interesting because I'm seeing this return to a sort of preppy 2.0 or 4.0 at this point. <laughs> and the pictures that are available of him uh, is sort of classic preppy style. Although the story behind, although he went to prep schools and whatnot, he, you know, lived in an abandoned building in New York and was basically a starving artist for a really long time. I'm always interested in the facade 
the yeah. idea of a facade and what's behind it. And with a name like Gardner McKay, he must have been terribly handsome, I imagine. <laughs> yes. In fact, Dominic Dunn from Vanity Fair claims to have discovered him and said that Gardner got more fan mail than Marilyn Monroe. And in fact, he was asked to star in a film with her and he said no. And the director called him and he said no. And Marilyn called him and he said no. And he went traveling instead. Wow. And he also had a dog he named Pussycat <laughs> that used to ride in his convertible. You've totally taken us down a magical rabbit hole already. I can see how <laughs> deliriously delightful your job must be. And developing a taxonomy, that sounds like a labor mm. of love. H- how do you go about doing it? And, and what kind of cataloging ordering system are you using? I find it really useful to have an idea of what your audience is. It's wonderful to capture information, but it's always a balance. Do you spend one hour cataloging one page or do you have an efficient taxonomy that brings people accurate results but that you can offer more. And so at Vogue Runway, what I'm doing is also digitizing, but in a different way. Condé Nast has the luxury of having a wonderful archive. It's in a separate building than the rest of the offices. It has temperature and humidity controlled storage. And what I have been doing is adding to the Vogue Runway archive, which dates from 2000, obviously every season, We go into the future of fashion, Mm -hmm. as you were mentioning, the tenses in your introduction. But I'm also interested in growing the archive backwards. So there's been a huge interest in 1990s nostalgia. And so what I'll do is I'll call the archive and say, do you have anything by any shows from Zulibet from the 90s? And then it's a process that takes a few days because the slides need to be located and they need to be brought to room temperature. That takes about a day. And then I go over and they give me a light box. I might have a stack of slides four by five across in a, a paper sleeve. And then I put them on the light box and then I need to sort every look It's such meticulous work, isn't it? And there's something very charmingly old-fashioned about pulling up the slides and letting them come to room temperature and bringing them into the light box. I get the sense that there's an enormous responsibility in maintaining and cataloguing an archive. Gucci have just opened their archive. It's a a five-story Renaissance palazzo in Florence, and it it houses this staggeringly beautiful collection of Gucci's most iconic pieces from the last Mm. hundred years. And you and I, Laird, are going to have to petition Alessandro to invite us to go have a look around. (laughs) But but tell me, me why, (laughs) why does a fashion archive matter? What is being captured in a fashion archive, do you think? I came over to the digital world from the museum world, from objects to images, and I'm not a digital native, but it's important for me personally as a researcher to have access to information. You know, there's a lot of debate about the positives and negatives of digital media, but I think that the ability for people to have access to information and make their own decisions about it is really important. When we digitize archival shows, I get a feeling that we're bringing history back to life. You can do with it what you want. You can 
say it's good, you could say it's bad, but we are documenting creativity and sharing it. But I think for me, fashion is a lot about ideas and about people. Mm-hmm. Um, consciously or, or not, we're all formed by our lived experiences, what children's books we read, what we traveled, our pains and triumphs. Um, what I've discovered in looking at things through time is a sense of a shared humanity. People fall in love. People feel scared. People Mm. get married. You know, there are common emotions and common needs that we feel often communally. So, for example, you can see that after periods of turmoil, there's often a return to neoclassicism. And that kind of makes sense because the classic is perceived as something lasting, unchanging, Mm. solid. And so you see this balancing or writing of this seesaw of history. So what is this 90s nostalgia all about? I want to know why. And I think a large part of it is acceptance and identity, come as you are. That's a lyric, but it is really a beautiful statement of acceptance. Listening to you talk so beautifully, Led, about the magic of the image and the humanity of fashion. I wonder if you have a personal favourite from the Vogue archive. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yes, so many. But my (laughs) most favourite is a Richard Avedon photo taken of Penelope Tree. It's a close-up and she's wearing what I can only describe as a cloud wig. It's a mass of white dinel. Her head is tilting and she has like a bunch of rings with bells on her fingers. I'm all about children's books and fairy tales and and romance. And it just was this idea of a dreaming princess. Yeah. Just an image that is sort of magic. We're celebrating 100 years of Gucci this year. Mm. What are the iconic moments in Gucci's history, do you think? Oh, I did, a, I did a story on it. It was super fun. Obviously, there's the floral print, the Jackie bag. But I think I was even more delighted by Dapper Dan moments. And I, I read his autobiography, and that really brought them to life. Of course, 90s with Tom Ford was really exciting. We're talking for spring 22, a lot about sex and body consciousness. And it felt new in the 90s when Tom Ford introduced that to Gucci. And I'm quite taken with Alessandro's Gucci because I I love the past. For me, the importance is to bring the past forward. If history is a spiral, it's one that goes up that we can learn from the past and bring that into how we reinterpret it because a lot of fashion is about reinterpreting. What really intrigues me the most when I did this 100 Years of Gucci story is trying to understand the postmodern aspects of what Alessandro is doing at Gucci because I think he's very interested in language and the way he talks about things is, is very intriguing. The whole real fake is something I think that's central to our digital age Often we are consuming the image of something that is real. And now when we're entering an age of 
NFTs or clothing that you can rent or that your avatar could wear. What is real? What is fake? It is and it isn't all at once. It's exciting. It's unsettling. But it's the future. I I think this is so much the spirit of Vault, that sense of a, a past that is infusing the present. And it's fascinating hearing you talk about your sense of that, but also our new wave of designers, these emerging talents from around the world, many of whom are working with vintage. Mm. And they're working with, with dead stock and repurposing old clothing. And we've become so accustomed to talking about vintage in contemporary fashion. But what do you think the place of vintage is in the contemporary fashion scene? I think you really need to know what you want from vintage. Why do you want a 1930s silhouette? It's not about recreating something. Mm -hmm. It's about reinterpreting something. For me, context is really important in, in what you're looking at. In terms of what you're talking about of new designers doing dead stock design or working with vintage fabrics, I think there are different ways to approach it. There's a young Swedish designer whose brand is called Hodakova. Her name is Ellen. And she tells me that she likes to sort of listen to what already exist and work around that. And Rave Review, another Swedish brand. And, and one of our new wave designs. Yes, and one of your, your vault brands. And they tell me that their brand is nostalgic by definition because they use existing materials. But to me, what's interesting about Rave Review is not so much the history of what they're using. It's how they take their 90s and early 2000s references and apply it to what is old because what I see from them is this kitsch mix-up that reflects their youth and their nostalgia for periods that they just missed. They're not remaking a 70s thing. They're taking something 70s and making it something that reflects their personal experience. There are many, many ways to, to work with vintage. The idea of heritage in fashion is becoming more important. I don't think heritage is means that you have to do what came before. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think, again, it comes back to context. When you have something to react to, or you have some limits, this is what I see sparking creativity. And so how you choose to react to this entity that has dimensions and and limits that has carved out this space, I think is really fascinating. Led, I imagine that being an archive editor means that you have to take wages about what you think should be in an archive and how important something is going to be. And I I wonder now when you look at at contemporary fashion, at fashion now, if you Mm. can see what you think will be in Vogue's archive in in 10 or 20 years' time. I'm asking you to be Cassandra, to forecast (laughs) the future. What will we see in the archive in, in 20 years' time? Well, I don't deal with physical objects. I deal mostly with images. So I'm quite concerned about how we care for the images that go on our site, how we label them, how we can retrieve them so that they have a life. I want 
people to be able to surface images from the past, from the present. I love mixed media and I love mixing times. I think it's great when you can see a 1990s show and a 2022 show. Sometimes people come up to me and they're like, I don't get it. You're like interviewing Swedish cloud rappers. Like, why are you called it an archive editor? But the way I approach my job is that is to put things in in context. I like drawing comparisons between past and future because I think roots are really important. I had seen the first Akaslata show, Had a Feeling of Deja Vu, not knowing that their mentor was Susan Centrolo. I was in Stockholm. I went to a group show and I had another moment of deja vu. And what was giving me that feeling were clothes that looked handcrafted in a very homely way, very loosely stitched, very cobbled together, but lovingly so. And so my question became why? There are probably lots of reasons, but we're in a digital time. Everything can be perfected. So for me, that why inspired an oral history of Susan Chancholo's work. So these are schools of thought or reactions to changes in in how we live. And then in terms of, you know, future archive, by just celebrating talents, people that are brave enough to go public with what they see in their thoughts and their imagination. If you have that drive and if you have that vision, it is a commentary on how we're living. And the more voices and the more realities we come across, the better we are. Creativity is something that you know deserves to yeah. be put in a vault, not closed away in a vault, but to be valued enough yes. that you want to sort of enshrine it. And so I think in the end, it comes really back to people and how the objects that they create are reflections of community, of aesthetics, objects and people and how they interact. Yeah. It's a beautiful dance. I love listening to you talk about deja vu because deja vu is an uncanny feeling, but it, it's not about a kind of deadened repetition. Deja vu is about stitching together a collective experience and forging connections. It's so important to experience a fashion, I think. It is. And, you know, at the Met now, the metaphor for the new show, the lexicon of fashion is a quilt, an American quilt in particular. I think we're all sort of making a quilt as we live, taking things from our past, taking tears from magazines. And yeah. that's how our life is put together. Yeah, it's a great patchwork. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you, Laird Borelli person. <laughs> pleasure is mine. And thank you too for listening to Vault, the Gucci podcast miniseries. Do join us again for our next episode where we'll be meeting a new wave of designers, the best of emerging fashion talent from around the world who are being showcased on Vault. I can't wait to introduce you to them. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. To discover more about the world of Vault, please see the episode's notes.